Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we've got another banger of a show for you guys today. First, I'm talking with Sadiq Youssef, fresh off of his big finish at UTC Adelaide, plus I'm talking with Devin the Brown Bear Clark, who looks to improve to 4-1 at 205 pounds when he faces Alexander Rachich this weekend at UFC 231. Plus, me and Dave are going to get a little ahead of ourselves. We're going to put together our Christmas wish list. That's right, Christmas wish list this early in December. But me and him were talking about who we wish won a UFC title. That's right, not who won it, not who was really, really close, but who we wish got a chance to win a UFC title. We've both got three people on our list, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Plus, after that, we are breaking down UFC 231, as always, but we're doing so in a new and special way with a special guest, the guy behind the Twitter account, at NumbersMMA. I got Jason Shandel here. He likes to look at the numbers, and today, we're going to oblige him. So you're going to want to catch all of that content, so make sure you listen in. But first, it is important for you to know that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Look, I'm a guy who loves to grapple. I got my purple belt. I've been doing it for a long-ass time. No big deal. But... As many of you who grapple know, grappling is an expensive sport. Tournaments cost money. Gym memberships are expensive. So why spend loads of money on the gear when you can get high-quality gear at a low, low price? ADK Fightwear has geese, rash guards, spats, you name it, all on their website, adkfightwear.com, and all at affordable prices. Plus, this gear holds up against the test of time. I've got their arm bars and stripes rash guard. It's a nice gray-looking rash guard, short sleeve with an American flag, but it's got, instead of stripes, it's got the, the jiu-jitsu belt. It's a really cool looking thing. I've worn it a couple of hundred times, and it looks like the day I bought it. I'm not kidding you. No fraying, no pilling. The colors haven't faded, and if you want to see for yourself, and you want one of these for yourself, you can get them at adkfightwear.com for just 20 bucks. That's right, just 20 bucks if you use promo code FLOW, F-L-O, and they also make great Christmas gifts for that grappler in your life. ADK Fight, where it brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Sadiq Youssef, fresh off his performance of the night finish at UFC Adelaide. Sadiq, uh, you know, after the fight in the cage, you asked Dana White to change your life with the performance of the night, 50K. Um, it looks like you got it. What, what are your big plans for uh, when that check comes in? Oh, yeah. I, I already told people I got to keep that little bit of a secret because of I got family members that listen to all my interviews, and there's <laughs> some big plans I plan on doing with them, but I don't want them to hear it based off these interviews. So when, when I'm finished doing what everything I'm trying to do, then I'll probably speak more about it. Oh, I love it, love it, doing some stuff with the family. Um, Got to respect that, so so we won't press too much on that. Let, let's talk a little bit about the fight. So, some people were calling it a bit of an early stoppage. Uh, wh- what did you think of when he called the fight? Do you think your opponent had a couple more shots in him, or did you think that was the spot? Well, the thing is, I, I think, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest, I think he could have took a little bit more, which he probably would have, and then that would have ended the fight for sure. He probably would have crumbled. But I can't blame the ref because I don't know if you guys can hear it. The ref told him a long time ago to start defending himself, like probably like eight punches before he actually stopped it. He's like, you have to fight back. You have to fight back. Defend yourself. You can't just shut up. You have to fight back. And he repeated it multiple times. So he gave him a chance, and... After a while, he, he decided to step in. It sucked because, you know, it kind of took away from my finish also, but I, I, I'm not sweating it. Yeah, and, and how, how good was it to be back in the, the finish column, so to speak, 
uh, after having that, you know, basically a performance of the night bonus on uh, the Contender Series, but but not a finish, <laughs> which was was sort of out of characteristic for you. How how good was it to get back to finishing people? Yeah, yeah, it was strange, man. But that that's my hats off to Mike Davis, man. He was a very tough opponent, and I, I tried my best to get him out of there. You guys saw I tried my best, but um, not you. You can't finish everybody, man. Some people are built different, and he he definitely was built different. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit too about, uh, you know, your your training partner James Vick uh, said he had quite a bit of money on you when it came time for the Contender Series because you were a big underdog. You were definitely a huge favorite going into this one, but did did James say he had money on you again? <laughs> yeah, he said um, the only way he could have made money was to like do like a super specific bet. So I think he he probably he bet um, me finishing in the first round. So that one wasn't as um, it wasn't as crazy as just winning in general, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm not that big into betting, but I know he is, and he always bets on me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. One of these days, I'm gonna like hit him with an audit or something and try to get some money back, you know. <laughs> that that's at least at least a you know a pair of gloves or or something nice out of it. Yeah, something, man. All right, so um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you're going to Australia, which is kind of a fun place to fight. We've heard, um, you know, your first time fighting in Australia, to, to our knowledge. What was it like down in Australia? What were the fans like, especially after beating one of their hometown guys? Yeah, man, Australia was really, really cool, man. I like going to places that remind me of home. You know, the same, it was the same kind of weather. The same kind of people as the the culture is so strange. There's so many different like you can't really point at where like you're from here, you're from here, you're from here. It's like Asians, like white people, black people, the Aborigines people. It's like it's just so many people all in one spot, and they were super cool. The only thing that was strange was fighting in the morning. The fight was at um we all got to the venue at 10 a.m. in the morning, you know. So that was the only thing that was different about it. And I before I was walking out to the fight, you know, of course, it's the hometown people. Before fight time, the, everybody was cool. But when it became fight time, that crowd was going insane. They're like, you're going to die. You're going <laughs> to die. But as soon as it was over, they they were all they was all on board. You know, there weren't sore losers or anything like that. They were super cool. And I think a lot of that credit goes to my opponent, man. I, man, this guy, <laughs> he ended up, ended up being like my best friend or something after the fight because... Honestly, like, he was a true class act, and he, I, I've never really fought somebody that I ended up liking, like, after the fight, he's usually just indifferent or, or ends up being, like, an asshole or something, but he was, like, a real class act, man, so I, I give a shout-out to him, and I, I really wish him well in the future. Awesome, and, and what, what exactly did you like about him, out of curiosity, you know, you're backstage with him, I'm sure you, you shared a couple of words, what did you like so much uh, about hanging out with him? He was just super respectful from, even before the fight. And it, it caught me off guard because um I did some interviews earlier and they said um he likes to trash talk and blah, blah. So I was kind of prepared for that. I fought a lot of um guys that are like big trash talkers. And like he just walked up and was like, hey, um, pleasure to meet you, man. I hope we have a great fight. And I was like, oh, well, that, that's that's not what they said he was going <laughs> to do. And then I was like, all right, maybe it was just a one-time thing. But every time we like interacted or ran into each other, man, he was just super respectful. And even after the fight, even though he was upset about the way it ended, he was still super respectful, and he was like, hey, I understand. Um, I, I was a little bit angry at the fight, but I'm sorry. I understand. Um, congrats on your wins. I hope you get the bonus. And, you know, just a real martial artist, that's all. That, that's absolutely awesome to hear. Now, 
I want to talk a little bit more about you too, because obviously after the contender series, the trajectory was big for you because you went from being a plus 300 underdog to an, uh, a huge favorite in this fight. So there's clearly a little bit of hype behind you. What are your plans sort of for 2019? Well, I, right now I didn't really think that much into like fighting because of all the stuff I was going through with my family. Mm-hmm. But in 2019, I'm going to try to get busy, man. Once once I get um my head right and get everything all good, I'm just going to focus on training and try to get as busy as I can, you know. I don't want to be on um, my contender contract for that long. I'm trying to get, <laughs> get, get out of that as, as quick as possible. But, yeah, I know – um. They, they brought me in as, like, a huge favor, which made, like, James upset. But I think it's because they were trying to overcompensate for the mess-up on, on the contender, you know. I, they had no business making me that big of an underdog. But I want a lot of people a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They don't, they don't want to make that mistake twice. And, and uh, you know, without giving away too much about your contender series contract, how, how long are contender series contracts generally for? Because I don't think that's something made uh, necessarily um, available to the public. Well, no, it's not. Honestly, it's not bad at all. It's a great, it's a great contract. But I, I have big plans for myself, man. I got big dreams, you know. I, that's just, <laughs> that's just, for, that's just for me. It's not, it's not a terrible contract at all. Oh, that's good. So it's good to hear that it's not a terrible contract. Is it, is it long term? Are, are you locked down for you know three or four fights? Are you locked down for more than that? No, no, it's not. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing crazy. It's just a regular standard contract. I actually, I'm actually really like it a lot. But like I said, I have bigger dreams for myself, and I'm trying to get out of that jump and onto the big stages. Absolutely. Now, I, I know you had some some tough stuff and it going on in your life before this fight, and we we want to give you our condolences for that. Um, but we also did want to ask. You know, you you said you want to get your head right. You want to you know deal with some family stuff going on. How soon are you planning on getting back in there? Is this something where you're going to need four or five months? Is this something where you're going to need, you know, just a couple of months? Because obviously you're not physically hurt in any way. Yeah, yeah, just a couple of months. I actually did. I hurt my hand. I'm getting an x-ray to find out what happened to it. But <laughs> I, a lot of people didn't notice because I, I guess it never really came into a part of the fights. But on one of those punches, I hurt my hand. I'm getting the extra on thir- Thursday, and if that's all cleared, I'm not gonna need that long. You know, just just a few months. So hopefully, I'll be fighting again in maybe like three or four months. Awesome. So you you seem to have. Uh, I'll just end on this point. You seem to have a history of hitting people so hard that you hurt yourself. Because on the contender series, you hurt your leg too. <laughs> We're out yeah. for a while. Every fight, man. But that's because I put I put my heart and soul into every single one of my strikes you know so at the end of the day whatever is standing on the other side is gonna break but sometimes the tool chips too yeah that's very true well Sadiq we appreciate the time and uh, we're looking forward to whenever that next fight is uh, once again this was Sadiq Youssef fresh off his performance of the night victory at UFC Adelaide Sadiq thanks so much for the time man we really appreciate it thank you for having me man have a nice one this is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today we have the pleasure of speaking to Devin the Brown Bear Clark, who fights Alexander Rachich at UFC 231 on December 8th. Devin, uh, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. So we definitely want to get to talking about your fight eventually, but first I wanted to talk a little bit about your teammates because you know a lot in the news about Jackson Wink recently. So obviously John Jones, one of your main training partners, at least from what we can see on social media here, he's been getting ready yeah. for getting ready for his title fight. How, how has it been getting ready for a fight which is pretty much at the same time as John? 
That's great, you know, being in a camp like this, especially him going into a championship fight, you know, so you're pretty much in a championship camp. Um, our camps differ a little bit, but it's the same energy, and, you know, we both work hard, so the same work ethic. And, and what is sort of it, it like working with a guy uh, who has been at the top of the sport so long, whereas, you know, you're sort of more of an, an, an up-and-comer in the same exact division as him? Uh, it's a blessing, really, you know, he, um He's he's been a good teacher for me and good role model. Um, he he he's really a true martial artist and you know it's, it's helped me a lot. And you know I've also had to stand my own route, of course, because uh, we're definitely different types of fighters. So, um, but you know I take the insight when I when I can get it from him. So uh, it's definitely a good deal. Yeah, that's absolutely a good deal. You can't get training partners like that in too many places. <laughs> I I, I want to know. Yeah, uh, I, I want to know. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you've had you know four or five fights in the UFC at this point in time, um, and for a, a large chunk of it, John Jones was you know suspended from the sport. How often was he in there in the gym with you, getting you ready for those bouts? Um, you know, it's been on and off, but uh, you know, I have, I've you know pretty much every every camp I've uh, spent some time with him. You know, he's helped me out, so um, and that's you know. Any time with him is 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 great because he you know he's one of the best to ever do it and um, a guy like me can learn a lot from a guy like that so I definitely take advantage of uh, any time spent. And, and I got to know too from from a you know it's the standpoint of being a light heavyweight you know sparring with other light heavyweights in a place like Jackson Wink which probably got you know a hundred killers on the roster. Is there any mm-hmm. is there any like weird feeling in the back of your you know in the the back of your head or in the pit of your stomach when you think like. You know, if if John Jones is at the top of the division when you get there, you know that's a possibility that you might have to make that decision. Um, you know, it's, the way we look at it is, it's um, if that situation does arise, that means we've both been real successful. Mm-hmm. Um, he's held on to his title, and I've gotten all the way up there. So, you know, we both just work and try to get better, and uh, we don't you know, we don't really look at it like that. You know, um, as uh, possible opponents you know but you know of course it's there but it's just uh you know right now we just work and, and try to make each other better i like that mentality that goes with everybody everybody on the team you know everybody just wants to get better mm-hmm. yeah and so i did want to mention just the other piece of your team too because you know obviously the jackson wink's been uh pretty well documented in the news at this point in time with you know cowboy Cerrone's take on it you know coach wink defending it uh, we don't need to rehash that whole thing, but we did want to get your take on the whole ordeal. Was there any tension in the gym? Were there people talking about it? How much of a distraction was it from everything else? I didn't let it distract me. I I, I wasn't involved. I wasn't in the middle of it. Um, but I work. Coach Wink, he's in my corner, so I have his back. You know, a hundred percent. You know, I don't really like the way things went down with you know. Cowboy going on social media and stuff, and you know, and and you know, I'm cool with Cowboy too. I, I haven't talked to him since any of that happened, but um, you know, it's just uh, it is what it is, and we just kind of we didn't let it affect the day the day to day in the gym. We all just stuck to our work, and um, you know, and Mike Mike Perry, you know, he he did his camp, and he was there with camp, so I was training with him, and. At, at that point, he's my teammate, and Cowboy's not here, so it, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And you know, we, like I said, we didn't let that any of that distract us. 
that makes a lot of sense. And especially with this fight coming up, because it is a big fight for you. So let's talk about that fight. You know, we, we actually we actually spoke to Alexander Rachich on uh, an episode of our, our podcast two weeks ago. Um, and he talked about how even though he's a kickboxer, he's really loved showing off how good his grappling is and plans on grappling a little bit more at UFC 231. D- does that statement surprise you in any way? No, not at all. I've seen it in a couple of his other fights. He tries to grapple a little bit, but you know, I've got you know twenty some years of experience in wrestling, so um, good luck to him trying to out grapple me. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, he's uh yeah it'll be yeah I'd like to see that, but um, it'll it'll be good. I'm gonna do what I do. Doesn't matter what he's you know what what he's got. He's a good striker. He should probably just stick to trying to knock me out. But you know, if he wants to try to grapple me, that's uh, you know, that's on him. We'll see what happens with that. But you know, I'm ready for that, and I've trained my grappling, I've trained my striking, so I'm ready for pretty much whatever he has to throw at me. Uh, we'll see if he can keep up. Yeah, and, and and I like that comment too, saying that you know you, you would you would see what he's able to to do here. Does it seem like you would uh, not initiate grappling in, until he did, or is this something that you've probably worked into your game plan as well? I've worked it all, man. Um, there's nothing I'm not ready for. Like I said, he, um, you know, it doesn't matter who initiates it first. If you, you know, you want to try to out grapple me, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to react and do what I know how to do, and he's going to know what he knows how to do from that grappling aspect as well and his striking aspect. So um, we'll see who I guess see who has the better grappling if he wants to try uh-huh. that route or um, see, you know, mix it up. But uh, you know, I, I definitely don't plan on just just wrestling him because that would be that's I feel like that's kind of what he's expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've I've good good ways to mix it all in there and and beat him. That's what I'm focused on beating beating him, getting the W. Uh, I know he's put together a good camp. I've put together a good camp, and you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to win that fight, come out with a victory. I found ways to beat him, so that's what I'm going to do. Absolutely, and and I want to talk a little bit about your division too. The the 205 division has been sort of notoriously hard to crack into because you know it, it seems like it's been sort of the same guys at the top for a long time. You know, uh, Glover Teixeira is up there, Alexander Gustafson, your teammate John Jones, Daniel Cormier. It seems like it's pretty much the same guys year after year after year. What do you have to do yeah. here in 2018 and actually moving into 2019 to sort of break into those ranks? Well, you just got to beat the right guys, I feel like. And there's some guys up there that were kind of just sitting there and not really proving it. Um, you know, you got Shogun and Glover and guys like that or whatever. You know, they're getting older. And uh, there's some young younger guys coming up. I mean, Anthony Smith uh, – and Jan Blachowicz, they're up there now. Um, they they jumped the line pretty quick, you know, just by getting some a uh, little bit bigger profile fights. And that's a, a fight that I want back is that uh, Jan Blachowicz fight. Um, I think he's like number four now or something like that or top five. And uh, he beat me because of my own mistake. So after I beat win this fight, um, I definitely want to look for. I, I want that fight back. I want to fight Jan Blachowicz. So. Um, and, and, you know, that'll put me right up where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and should you win it at UFC 231 against Alexander Rajic, is that a, a planned call out in your, in your mind? Are you, if you get the mic in your face, Joe Rogan there, are you planning on asking for the Jan Kovic matchup? Yeah, when I, you know, when I, when I do win, <laughs> um, I'm, I definitely, yeah, I'm going to call him out. I want him, I'll call him, or right now, actually, I guess, but, um, not trying to look too far ahead, but, you know, it's something that I feel has been in my path to win this fight and keep on going. 
I've had, you know, I've had five fights to um, learn a lot, prepare, and kind of find myself as a mixed martial artist and a UFC fighter. And um, it's kind of, you know, I've I've had two losses that sh- shouldn't have happened, and they were just, you know, simple mistakes that I made. And I feel like I've been adjusted and I've corrected that, and I've worked really hard to get to the point I'm at right now. And I feel very confident in my uh, in my skill set at this point. And I think I could, you know, I can go with anybody in the division and um, and and win. So it's uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Getting through this fight, beating him, knocking him out, TKO, whatever. On to the next one, if that's Jan or whoever, you know, I, I really don't care. So. Well, we're certainly looking forward to the fight as well. Once again, uh, Devin, the Brown Bear Clark, fights Alexander Rajic at UFC 231 on December 8th this weekend. Uh, Devin, we thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. And those two interviews were brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, I love to exercise. I'm a little bit of a freak like that. I grapple, I run a little long distance, and sometimes on the weekend I play some uh, old man baseball. And no matter what I'm doing, I'm always wearing my Sheath Underwear. That's because no matter which of those things I'm doing, Sheath keeps my junk supported with its innovative front pocket. That's right, they've got an innovative front pocket that keeps your family marbles all in the right place. So, you don't want to be running around and having your guys flopping all around, so get yourself some sheath underwear. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, I could definitely go get some briefs. It does the same thing. But let's be honest, they squish everything together, and that's not comfortable. You want everything in its own place, and sheath design has got you covered on that because it promotes airflow so that they not only are are supported, but they're also cool and comfortable. So, these guys are changing the underwear game. I know you don't believe it, but it is insane. And if you can't take my word for it, go to sheathunderwear.com right now. Go there today. Use promo code FLOW, F-L-O, and get 20% off your whole order. You'll never exercise the same way again. I guarantee it. And as always, for those of you who don't know, I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and today I am joined by my co-host, my partner in crime, Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, what did you think of Sadiq's performance this past weekend? I was uh, extremely impressed with Sadiq Yusuf this past weekend. Uh, this is someone to watch at 145 pounds, Team Lloyd Irvin. Uh, I like the way this man holds himself. I think he has a bright, bright future ahead. What do you think? I think so, too. And it, it's it's somewhat promising, too, to know that he's a 45er training pretty constantly with James Vick, too. And knowing that, like, you know, if he's training pretty constantly with James Vick, who is a huge 55-pounder, um, he's definitely got good competition that he's going against regularly. So even though he's training in Maryland, which we don't think of as a hotbed, a um, lot, of, lot of promise there. Absolutely. And then when it comes to our friend Devin Clark, uh, you know, it's always interesting just to hear about someone who trains with uh, the GOAT, John Jones. Um, you know, and listen, 3-1 and one in the UFC is Devin Clark. That's nothing to sneeze at. And obviously, speaking of training partners, he's got a pretty good one there in John Jones. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I guess I just mentioned training partners of, of James Vick before I mentioned of John Jones, which is uh, seems pretty backwards. But yeah, that that's exciting, and, and obviously everybody working at Jackson Wink is exciting because um, they tend to have a ton of killers down there. And, and yeah, 3-1 and one at light heavyweight, which means he's probably not that far away from being ranked, especially being his loss was to Jan Blankovic. Yeah, absolutely. So very, I am very excited with the two guys we had on this week. 
when it comes to up and coming MMA prospects. Now, speaking of up and coming MMA prospects, let's go around the league a little bit. It was a very interesting weekend last weekend. Uh, in Australia, you had in the main event, Tai Tuivasa, uh, was challenging Junior Dos Santos. And I think a lot of people wrote JDS off. Uh, you know, we all love Tai Tuivasa because of the shoey and everything else. And that's not to take away from his future in the sport, but JDS said, no way, Jose, TKOs him in the second round. What do you think of it? I-, I thought it was a masterful performance from JDS, and it goes to show just like, just because he's losing title shots, right? Like, he lost to, to Cain Velasquez twice, and, you know, like, he lost out on a possible other title opportunity. Did he lose to Overeem for the other title opportunity? Well, no, he, he, he lost to Stipe in 20... Oh, he lost to Stipe. Yeah. Yep, that's correct. So, so like, he lost out on a couple of title opportunities and lost a couple of title fights, and, and people instantly want to just, like, write that person off forever. I, I think we saw a little bit of the same thing with, like, Eddie Alvarez, right? Eddie Alvarez went into that Justin Gaethje fight, and we were all like, well, Eddie Alvarez lost his title, and, and all of a sudden that makes him, like, a bum or somebody we don't want to see at the top anymore. JDS is at the top as he ever has been, really. Like, I, I think his skills aren't any aren't diminished in any real way, right? Like, did he look worse than he used to look? Like, I, I thought he looked just as good as he ever has. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I, you know, I, I'm excited to see him. I'll tell you who I actually wouldn't mind him seeing against. I wouldn't mind him seeing. I wouldn't mind seeing him against either. And it makes more sense to do Francis Naganu off a win. But I also wouldn't mind seeing him against Curtis Blades, who just lost to Francis Naganu. Yeah, I take him against either of those. I'd also love to watch him against Alexander Volkov. I feel like that would be a really fun one too, with Volkov's length in striking being as good as it is. Well, we have to mention um, for the night of legends uh, and prospects not dethroning those legends, <laughs> you also had in the co-main event, uh, Tyson Pedro lost to Mauricio Shogun Hua, and uh, that was a TKO in the third round after really not a great first round by Hua. I would call this a very nice comeback for him, but when you look at it, since 2015, now he's only fought five times, so he's not fighting you know, at a tremendous clip. But he's uh, four and one in the past four years. So Hua not going quietly into the night. Yeah, and if if you discount like the fact that he got blitzed by you know Anthony Smith, who who seems to be a fucking killer at two oh five, like he would be perfect other than that fight, which is just insane to think about um, in this day and age. But also, you know what I really loved about the performance against Tyson Pedro is it almost seemed like real old Shogun. You know what I mean? Like, what was the thing that wound up, like, taking away Tyson Pedro's pop? It was the fact that he had gotten kicked in the legs and his legs had gotten worked over. Like, that is fucking classic Shogun, right? Like, Shogun's done that time and time again over the years. So, like, it it was cool to see sort of, like, a throwback Shogun Hua, even this late in his career, while he's on a crazy streak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just bring back soccer kicks uh, like Friday's. <laughs> it would be unbeatable. So also want to mention um, from the night before uh, UFC Australia, uh, it was the Ultimate Fighter heavy hitters finale, and Kamari Usman put on a great performance against RDA, uh, won a five-round decision, absolutely starched RDA. And here we are, Kamari Usman, um, is 9-0 and in the UFC and really 
has a claim to, you know, just like Colby Covington, he's right there at the top. Uh, obviously, it's Colby Covington taking on Tyron Woodley, but if, you know, Covington or even if Woodley were to pull out of that fight, I think they would automatically insert Usman in there, but he's right there at the top of the division now. Yeah, well, and even Dana White said that he thought that, you know, like without the signed uh, deal between uh, uh, Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington, there is a possibility that that Usman jumps the line here just because Usman was so damn impressive. Like, Kamar Usman beat up RDA violently right after Colby Covington beat up RDA violently only he did so about twice as mean right like colby covington don't get me wrong out wrestled him out positioned him clearly had the decision usman put a beating on him while doing the same thing so i'd actually prefer to see kamar usman versus tyrone woodley and i know there are tons of colby fans out there would be pissed about that but i i think it's a better matchup yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm down to watch either. I do agree. I'm more interested. I kind of feel I know the way that Woodley Covington plays out. I'm way more interested in Woodley Usman. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, let's move on though, because we like to keep this uh, bullet train moving. We never want to waste our listeners' time. And we have a fun combat countdown this week, Gumby. We're going to do, uh, each of us will do a top three list. So really, it's like a top six list, because Two times three is six. <laughs> Guys you wish got a title. So this is like Back to the Future, alternate timeline. We are rewriting history and giving you the top three for each of us, our top three guys we wish were able to get a title, uh, and we'll give you the paths to how we think they could have gotten that title. We, of course, reached out to our fans on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, got a ton of tremendous feedback. A lot of people were all over Uriah Faber, Mark Hunt, Chael Sonnen, uh, Dan Henderson was a very popular uh, uh, pick, as was Carlos Condit. So let's debut our list. But first, Gumby, can you tell us, does any fine company sponsor this Combat Countdown? Well, of course, this Combat Countdown is sponsored by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to sisuguard.com for the only mouthguard that you can talk, breathe, and drink, all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. Really check these guys out because they are changing the mouth guard game as we know it, and it makes it so much easier to do jujitsu. Me and Dave both love ours, so head to sisuguard.com and get yours. Love me, my CSU mouth guard. You could talk, you could breathe, you could drink. It's the best mouth guard ever invented. I actually have a CSU mouth guard in my mouth right now while taping this podcast, and I'm sure you can understand me, at least I hope you can, and that's all because of the brilliant scientists at CSU. Now, let's move to the combat countdown. Guys, you wish got a title shot. Gumby, I'm going to have you kick off the list. We'll count it down three to one. I don't know your picks. You don't know mine, so we might even double up here. But let's hear your number three, guy you wish got a title, UFC title, and please tell me how he could have done it. So my alternative timeline first was really easy to make my first pick. Uh, I'm going with... I wish Francis Naganu knocked out Steve Miocic at UFC 220. Uh, and it, wow, really? Yeah, yeah, I really do. And I love Stipe. Um, but just like, I, I feel like the UFC missed out on this like absolutely historic looking timeline, right? With, with him going from being a guy who had never done MMA, hadn't even heard of MMA, just kind of like liked boxing and like boxed some guys for spare money in Cameroon, to all of a sudden like a UFC world champion. And he was like 
maybe one punch away from doing it. That that's the shit that like movies are made out of, dude. And I feel like the UFC missed out on this opportunity to like have that guy with like the Rocky timeline or the Rocky storyline. And to me, I I was let down when it when it ended the way that it did. All right, that I was just not expecting that. I mean, Francis Ngannou had just beat Curtis Blades. He still has a very good shot of winning the title. And in your alternate timeline, you're taking away the heavyweight title defense record from Stipe. That's correct, I am. Yep. (laughs) Wow, you are just the Grinch that stole Christmas. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, what was your first one? Yeah. All right, my first one is someone who I have tremendous respect for, and I don't really think... I'm going to do some alternate timeline stuff here, and it really wasn't like, oh, he was, you know just a frog's hair away from ever getting the title. I have to do some like real mind-bending <laughs> time travel to make this happen, but he's an underdog, and if Forrest fucking Griffin can win a title, why can't Jim Miller win a title? Uh. Let me lay it out here. In 2012, he was in a UFC title eliminator against Nate fucking Diaz. Now, Diaz caught him in a guillotine choke. I was at that fight. Him. Were you really? Yeah, I was sitting in New Jersey. It's in New Jersey, right? Headliner in New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah, I was at that one. Correct. It was a UFC on Fox in New Jersey. So, okay, Nate got him with the guillotine, fine. But let's imagine a world where Jim Miller got Nate Diaz, because it's not like Nate Diaz is that much fucking better than Jim Miller. Jim Miller would have gone on to face Benson Henderson. Now, Benson Henderson has a win over Jim Miller, but mind you, it was just a decision win. He didn't finish him or anything like that. So I'm going more of like a Hollywood Mighty Duck style alternate timeline here, and I'm saying Jim Miller, for all the tremendous fights he has put on for the fans in his UFC career, and let's face it, he's put on a billion of them, uh, I would like him to be my number three pick for a guy who never got a title and probably never will get a title to get a title in an alternate timeline. I like that one. And for my number two pick, um, I'm going to go with one that that definitely would have got one and definitely won't get one and had maybe a million chances. I would have liked to seen uh Massachusetts native Kenny Florian with a fucking title. And I, I had to look through his like eight chances at winning a title to pick exactly one. I think the one I want him to have is I want him to beat Sean Shirk at UFC 64. I originally thought I might want him to beat Jose Aldo. Uh, as like his last ditch effort to win the title before he retired, but I- I'm gonna go with the one with Sean Shirk, like way back in the day. It-, it makes it feel like less, less like monumental and like earth shattering because back then, like, like what? How would you feel about the lightweight title if like Kenny Florian had it for a little bit instead of Sean Shirk? Yeah, that's that's a good point. And if anything, I think um, no, I'm not gonna say that. I mean, both are. Both guys, for not being, let's say, that like tippy top legendary status, they both are like right there, mm-hmm. kind of underneath that level, like upper middle class, so to speak. So uh, I'm fine with either of them. I like where you went with that. My number two, I'm going Hollywood ending on this. It's not a stretch to imagine it happen like it is with Jim Miller, but I'm going with my man, the American hero. <laughs> I knew this Endo. was coming. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, now, obviously, I could rewrite history and say Henderson comes in and beats Quentin Rampage Jackson for the 205 title, but no. I never really loved Henderson at 205. 
then I can rewrite history and say, hey, you know what? Maybe Hendo lands an H-bomb on Anderson Silva for the mm-hmm. middleweight title, but let's face it, Anderson Silva is better than Dan Henderson, so no. But here's where he could have won the frickin' title. In his last fight, October of 2016, he takes the loss to Michael Bisping on decision. Did take it to him, though, in that first round. It was a close fight. Uh, Bisping probably did win it, but Henderson did come close to landing that H-bomb, and hey, was Henderson on TRT for the second part of his career or the last part of his career? Does anyone, yes. Does anyone really talk about it or give him the hate that they give to Vitor Belfort? No. But it's Dan Henderson, okay? So fuck off. God, would it have been cool if he had won the title at UFC 204. Who's your number one? So I will say on my little list here, that was my number one. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna snag one of my honorable mentions to fill out my list instead of doubling down on yours. I'm going to kick this one real old school, and it's going to be fueled by my hatred of Tito Ortiz. So I really hated Tito Ortiz, and more than anything, I wanted to see him uh, not have the record for like the longest title reign, which he bragged about incessantly, even though he like defended it like four total times in that crazy long reign. And I'm instead going to have it broken up and give the title to... One of my all-time favorites. You know when you have those like favorites that you have no reason to, for them to be your favorite. Sure. My my yeah. one of my all-time favorite fighters is Vladimir Matyushenko. So I'm gonna have Vladimir Matyushenko beat Tito Ortiz at UFC 33, which is when he fought him for the title and ruin his giant title streak. So I I guess I am being the Grinch. I'm just gonna ruin records today. Yeah, I did not think we were going to get a Matt <laughs> reference tonight, but here we are. I respect it. That's old school. Here's what I'm going with for number one. Uh, I guess it's possible he could win a UFC title again if he ever comes back to the promotion. I'm talking about Bellator fighter Rory McDonald, mm-hmm. one of my favorite fighters of all time, and here's where it could have went down. At UFC 167, the night GSP uh, beat Johnny Hendricks and retired for four years, Robbie Lawler and uh, and Rory McDonald had a three-round war that Lawler won via split decision. It was a great first fight. And Lawler, of course, propelled himself with that win to the title shot, the then vacant title, against Johnny Hendricks uh, at UFC 171, just five months later in March of 2014. It is not out of the realm of possibility that Rory takes that first fight against Lawler the split, the split decision win could have gone to Rory McDonald. Now Rory is fighting Johnny Hendricks in March of 2015. Sorry, in March of 2014. And here's what makes that so great. One, I think Rory matches up really well with Johnny Hendricks. I would have loved to have seen how Faraz Zahabi game planned for it. Mm-hmm. Two, it's coming off the controversial GSP loss for Johnny Hendricks. So now he'd be fighting GSP's teammate at TriStar and Rory McDonald. I think Rory McDonald beats uh, Johnny Hendricks there. Now he's the champion, and more or less, you can kind of make the argument, or at least hope, that we still get the crazy war between Robbie Lawler it doesn't and ruin Rory that. McDonald at UFC 189, only this time, Rory McDonald is the one who's defending the title. Yeah, I like that, that one a lot. Uh, when you first said it, I was like, but then we lose Rory versus Robbie. But then, yeah, that, that timeline actually doesn't mess that up. It just changes who the champ is, which is kind of crazy. 
Now, my other honorable mention I, is, of course... I, I was hoping you had some honorable mentions. <laughs> I, I'll just throw one other honorable mention, which is Carlos Condit. I think you could say him. he could have beat Lawler, which was another crazy, you know, war. That was in 2016, uh, January of 2016. So I think you could give Carlos Condit the title there. Of course, he was an interim champion, but mm. let's not split hairs. We don't really count that. So... Those are our lists. Oh, hang on. Let me let me get my my uh, honorable mention in there too, because I had one more honorable mention on my list. I wanted Anthony Rumble Johnson to knock out DC at UFC 187. Yeah, I wanted. Yeah, I wanted I wanted Rumble to have that title bad. That dude's a freak, and you know, from being a 170 pounder to being a 205 pounder and sometimes a heavyweight, uh, would have liked to seen Rumble on there. So there you go. Uh, Jim Miller, uh, Rory McDonald, Dan Henderson, uh, Machachenko. Uh, who else did you have? Uh, I had Francis Naganu, uh, and then I also had Kenny Florian. All right. If you liked our list, if you hated our list, hit us up on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. We'll move along to our UFC 231 breakdown. And we're bringing in a friend to do this breakdown. We're talking about at Numbers MMA on Twitter. If you don't follow at Numbers MMA on Twitter and you're an MMA nerd like us, what are you doing with your life? Go follow at Numbers MMA on Twitter. This dude knows math, for, for starters, but he also knows MMA, and he's always breaking out awesome, crazy stats. So we had to get him on the show. Gumby, you got to sit down and talk with him. Uh, and do the breakdown of UFC 231. So we're very happy to play that for you now. So let's go to it. It's at Numbers MMA from Twitter, breaking down UFC 231 with our very own Gumby Vreeland. All right, we're now going to move to our UFC 231 breakdown, and we are bringing in a new friend of the show. You might know him as at Numbers MMA on Twitter. You can catch him weekly on the MMA by the Numbers podcast or on his weekly DraftKings breakdown. Today, he'll be helping us get through the very stacked UFC 231 card. Jason Shandell joins us. What's going on, Jason? Hey, how's it going? Glad to be on. Awesome, thanks, man. So, uh, you know, let, let, let's get into why everybody's here. We won't we won't pat around it too much. UFC 231 is upon us. Let's start with the main event. It is a killer matchup between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. The odds are real close on this fight. So, what stat do you think that maybe people are overlooking in this fight, and and who do you like in it? I think the big part of this fight comes down to the fact that Brian Ortega's offensive wrestling has just not been very good. He's obviously dangerous with submissions, but he's only got a 14% takedown accuracy rate. And Max Holloway, over his last nine fights, he's faced 27 takedowns and hasn't been put on the ground once. I think Holloway can keep this one standing, where he's obviously got a big edge. He absolutely does have a big edge, too. And, and obviously, some people are pointing to uh, Brian Ortega's power, being that he knocked out uh, Frankie Edgar. But is there anything that makes you maybe reluctant to think about him on his feet as like a power weapon? Well, Holloway's got a 65% uh, significant striking defense rate. And per minute, he lands about 2.2 more significant strikes than he absorbs, which is the third highest in UFC featherweight history. Yeah, so obviously there's not too much of a chance of Brian Ortega, you know, outstriking him. So if he can't get him to the ground, you know, there's a pick right there. And Max Holloway, I think as you see it get closer and closer to fight time, he's going to trend, I think, more and more as an underdog, especially, you know, rumors coming out about his uh, slurred speech and things like that, too. So keep an eye on that. And our guy MMA Numbers here has got him as a definite favorite and a good pick to make. So let's talk about the co-main event, which is also a banger. Uh, how about a definitive stat that would help between these two highly talented strikers? 
It's tough to say a little bit with uh, the difference coming from opposite sides of the weight class, but Joanna and Jacek just has some of the highest striking volume we've ever seen in the UFC. She la- she ranks uh, fifth in significant strikes landed overall, even though she's the second uh, second youngest on that top ten list, and she ranks seventh in strikes landed per minute. Shevchenko's got some shaky defense, 57% defense rate, and her low volume could end up costing her here. Absolutely, especially in a fight where it, it doesn't seem all that likely that a finish is going to happen, does it? No, they both rank uh, top 10 as far as the longest average fight time in UFC history. 4-3 on Jacek and 8th for Shevchenko, both over 15 minutes on average. Yeah, so that's absolutely a, a pick that you should probably look to if you can see the prop that says, uh, you know, fight goes the distance in a in a title fight. Usually that's a good one to hit here. Um, although, you know, Jan Jacek has, does have a couple of finishes in there, right? Yeah, she's got she's definitely got some power, but uh, Shevchenko, her she's a little bit better probably defensively than than those percentages look because she spends a lot of time in the clinch and on the ground where accuracy tends to be a little bit higher. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh let's round it all out here too. We're we're gamblers by nature here, uh, and we we like putting cash down on some dogs. I, I've been known to definitely lean a little bit heavy into the underdog. So who is an underdog on this card that you think is maybe being undervalued here, and and why do you think maybe he's being undervalued? Well, Jessica I is sitting at plus 155, and I really like Caitlin Chukagian's striking volume. She averages uh, the 13.4 significant strike attempts per minute, but i has been really good offensively uh, with a 36% accuracy rate. She's also shown some strong wrestling in her last couple of fights. She averages fewer than one takedown per 15 minutes, but she's got six attempts over her last two and a 71% takedown accuracy rate against a 56% defense rate for Chukagian. Makes me think that I's going to be able to get this one to the ground and grind her out. Yeah, especially being that those last two fights both came at flyweight too, which does seem to be way more natural for her. How, how often do you look into to stuff like that where there's the clear difference between bantamweight and flyweight? Because that seems to be the case for Jessica I. Yeah, it's um when it's obvious like that one and there's a real clear distinction between the numbers, I tend to put a little bit more weight into it. When they look similar, I tend to group all the numbers together into kind of one one cohesive n- number. Awesome. So, and then the last question I'm just going to ask you, because it's a fight I'm interested in. We've had both guys on the show a couple of times. I'm a big fan of both of them. Uh, Eric Anders is fighting Elias Theodoro in a fight that seemed like it was going to get booked about 17 different times and then finally did. Who do you like in that fight, and why, why maybe do you like them? Uh, it might be a little hometown bias coming through. I'm from <laughs> Toronto, so big Elias Theodoro fan, but uh, he's really surprisingly got some of the more impressive uh, stats at middleweight. He has the ninth highest significant strike differential, so that's landed minus absorbed per minute uh, in UFC middleweight history. And among active middleweights, he ranks top 10 in both most significant strikes landed and fewest significant strikes absorbed per minute. Anders is dangerous. He's a good offensive fighter with finishing ability, but I really like Theodoro to take this one. Yeah, and, and he certainly doesn't seem like too much of a threat to get Theodoro down, does he? Uh, I think that's probably his maybe his best path to victory. He's got a 42% takedown accuracy rate, but pretty low volume. He averages fewer than one takedown landed per round. And Theodoro, even when he gets taken down, he hasn't taken a ton of damage on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and Eric Anders has certainly fallen in love with his hands <laughs> since he's gotten a couple of knockouts in there. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, there you have it, guys. If you enjoyed this, make sure you check out all of Jason's work. He is very active uh, with his podcast. Last week, he he popped out three or four of them there, um, which I know is a ton of content for him to do. So we want to thank him for uh, taking the time out of his busy week to get involved with us. So, Jason, thanks so much for being on, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me on the show. Big fan. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you guys all for tuning in. We want to remind you, once again, always subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting 
uh, service you've got. Make sure you rate, tell everybody how much you love us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TopTurtleMMA. We've got games, trivia, giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff like that, so make sure you hop on over there. We want to thank Flow Combat for being our gracious hosts each and every week. And we also want to say thank you to our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Sheath Underwear, and Sisu Mouthguards. Uh, I was Dave... <laughs> I, I'm Daniel Gumby Ruin. He's Shockwave Dave Dramonte, and we'll be back next week.